All right, so uh, tonight we're going to start a series on Amos um, called the ser- ser- Sermon Series um, Firmly Planted. Um, tonight we have a little bit of a tall order. We got a lot to, uh, to get into because we're going to read the first two verses, or the first two chapters. Uh, most weeks we're going to just do one at a time, but um, we're going to start out by reading one and two. So I'm going to read fast. Um, if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's page 1419, and uh, I'm assuming the words are going to be on the screen as well. Amos, beginning at chapter one. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel, he said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire upon the house of Hazal that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Aven and the one who holds the scepter of Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire upon the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod, the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines is dead, says the sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire upon the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he pursued his brother with a sword, stifling all compassion because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire upon Temin that will consume the fortresses at Basra. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile and his officials together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he burned as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire upon Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of a trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Now we're coming close to home. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods. The gods of their ancestors followed. I will send fire upon Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. 
They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. I destroyed the Amorite before them, though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you for 40 years in the desert to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, we'll crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we just read two full chapters of Amos, two out of nine. Um, And I'm going to start with another reference from Amos, the one that we probably know the best. That is Amos 5, verse 24, which is considered the thematic verse in the book of Amos. And so it's kind of appropriate to get that out there right off the bat. And it says this, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Uh, Why is that important? Well, because justice and righteousness are inherent to the very nature and character of God. And he wants those characteristics, his characteristics of justice and righteousness to be revealed to all people through the embodiment of those characteristics by his chosen people. So he wants all people to see those characteristics, and he wants to do so through the people that he has called and appointed with those characteristics by the power of the Holy Spirit in our context. And so that is the foundation for this entire book. That's the takeaway right off the bat. But what I want to begin with is the man who was chosen here to proclaim this message, because we learn a couple of things about this guy, Amos. Uh, We learned a couple of things this morning in chapter 1, and also in chapter 7, I believe, there's a little bit more information. But Amos must have seemed like a pretty odd choice for a prophet. He was almost certainly not a man with any kind of formal education, and we know this because of his day job. He was a shepherd, okay? Nothing wrong with shepherds, but shepherds, uh, being a shepherd didn't require a lot of schooling, okay? Usually it was the youngest in the family that would take on the role of a shepherd. Now we know that Amos was, um, as shepherds go, pretty um, successful because he was a shepherd that was in charge of others. Um, But he was a shepherd. He was, in a sense, a a simple man, a very earthy man, a man that was, was close to the earth. 
He was from the town of Tekoa, which is about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, as many of you know, was in the southern kingdom. This is after the kingdom divided, okay? You had the 10 tribes of Israel in the north. You had the two tribes of Judah in the south. And so he's from the southern kingdom, from about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. But he was sent by God from the southern kingdom to go preach this message to the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of Israel. Now, the Northern Kingdom at this point in history was a society, we learned from the book, characterized by a couple of things. It was characterized by affluence, and it was characterized by religious practice, okay? The reason why I put religious practice in quotes is because that is precisely what it was. It wasn't genuine worship of the one true God. It was going through the motions. It was religious practice. It was, it was religion without a whole lot of depth. But at the same time, like I said, the other characteristic of the northern kingdom was affluence, okay? Things were going pretty well. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at that society and you were looking primarily at the economics of that society, you would probably say everything looks fantastic on the surface. Inflation was low, interest rates were low, goods were plentiful, people were making a lot of money, they had both summer and winter homes, and the market was absolutely phenomenal. But Amos, with the eyes of a man appointed by God, the eyes of a prophet, saw that Israel was totally corrupt, totally bankrupt from within. Their whole society was built on greed and exploitation. And he also saw that the time was coming when Israel was going to be destroyed, that it was going to be judged and that it was going to be destroyed. And so in the preaching of Amos to the northern kingdom, we find three overall lessons. This is something of an introductory sermon. First... The privilege of being in a covenant relationship with God comes with responsibility. We talk about that here a lot. The privilege of being in a covenant relationship with God has with it a great deal of responsibility. Second, past history, where you come from, what you've done in the past, who your parents are, cannot take the place of present moral and spiritual commitment, okay? Our spiritual growth in this life, our growth as Christians, is a process. There's no, there's no plateaus that we're desiring to reach. There's no destination until we get through the door of death into the next life, okay? So past history cannot take the place of present moral and spiritual commitment. And then the third thing, religious practice is useless without the daily pursuit of holy living. It's part of what we talked about this morning as we talked about nurturing a thriving and robust prayer life. So Amos 1 begins with this uh, divine call for justice and righteousness, okay? It's, actually, it's, it's not so much a cry as it is a roar. Verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. 
And when we read here that the Lord roars from Zion, we are immediately thinking about disciplinary justice and judgment, okay? The Lord's not going to roar with gentleness, right? The Lord is not going to roar because he's, he's happy with how we're treating one another. The Lord roars, and we know that this is a scary thing that there is something that he is upset or angry about. But you know, even that said, every Israelite who knew anything about their history would know that the name used here, Lord or Yahweh, is an address, a personal address to the God who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt many generations before. This was the personal, uh, intimate address to the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God that they and their forefathers worshipped. This was the God who had delivered his people over and over and over again. And so when Amos says, the Lord roars from Zion, well, that certainly has an indication of coming disciplinary judgment, but it is a message of disciplinary judgment that comes from a faithful covenant-keeping and merciful God. And so our passage, I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you um, know your ancient, uh, ancient um, Israelite maps all that well, but our, our passage kind of initially serves as a, a roll call of the nations that, that surrounded Israel. You have the Phoenicians in there, the Syrians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Philistines. These were the nations that existed in darkness. These were the pagan peoples around God's people that that did not know God. They didn't have uh, the benefit of special revelation. They didn't have the the law like Israel had. They didn't have any any Moses to uh, proclaim God's wisdom to them. They, They had no genuine prophets like the prophets who had been raised up by God. And so, you know, I guess... Uh, if they had wanted to, they maybe could have argued, hey, we, we don't have a leg up in this at all. But nevertheless, obviously, according to Amos, they were under divine judgment. And that's a noteworthy thing that we're going to circle back to in a few weeks because uh, things get a bit more positive right at the end of the book of Amos. These nations, yes, indeed, were without any kind of special revelation, but they were not without responsibility. That's kind of the way it works. In fact, every person on the face of the earth throughout all of history is responsible to God by the very fact that he has created you in his image, by the very fact that he has in this creation put on display his glory and his majesty. And even though um, human beings, their conscience, their mind, their emotions, uh, their will has all been affected by the fall, there is still enough of that divine light given so that all of us are guilty before God. And the Apostle Paul uh, plainly states that same truth in Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to read it now, but most of you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, it's a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. The prophets of the Old Testament assume it. Amos certainly assumes it. These kingdoms were guilty before God. So then God is roaring from his holy place for justice to be done. 
God is announcing judgment over the world. And Amos begins with these proclamations, these oracles that would have been popular enough among God's people. I mean, because he started out by speaking out against the the surrounding nations, right? And he employs this interesting formula as he preaches. He says, for for three sins, even four, I will not turn back my wrath. What's that all about? Well, this does not mean like three strikes and you're out. Doesn't specifically refer to a number of sins committed at all. For three sins, even four, uh, commentators think that that's a phrase that points to the fact that the the sins of the nations were, were numerous and varied. Three plus four, interestingly enough, also adds up to seven, which is the number of completion. And so if you want to look at it that way, you could say that the sin of the nations had reached capacity, Um, completion in God's estimation, the time had come for God to bring judgment. And as I mentioned, the nations listed refer to kingdoms that were in close proximity to Israel. And what they shared was a history littered with and characterized by the mistreatments of God's people. And so I'm going to read through this quickly, just this kind of list of uh, charges that God brings against these nations. Um, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. And so it's a reference to cruelty against those who were defeated in war. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. So that's a reference to uh, carrying people into exile from their homelands. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. And so that that refers to the the breaking of a treaty or or oath-breaking. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he pursued his brother with a sword, stifling all compassion, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. And that's a reference to Edom, which, um, who, who is Edom the descendants of? Does anybody know right off the top? Esau, that's right, descendants of Esau. And so Edom had pretty close relational ties with Israel, right? Israel is the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Esau's brother, right? But uh, Edom was not very kind to the descendants of Jacob. And so with this close kin nation, they had harassed them with military power. And now God had remembered that and they will be punished. Next, for three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. And so that's a very graphic, unfortunately, reference to showing no mercy or pity on those who were weak and defenseless, okay? For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because he burned as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. That's to, um, a reference to the desecration of a dead body. So these are the oracles of God's judgment upon the nations of the world, the, uh, the, the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel, He would send fire down upon them. He would tear down the walls that they had built. He would destroy their kings and their high officials. He would send their peoples into exile. 
Let me just point out that all the kind of representative sins that are recorded here thus far are sins that involve the exploitation and abuse of people who are made in God's image. That is a a serious sin, whatever it is. Exploitation and abuse of people, that is unfortunately one constant throughout the history of a fallen world. Yeah, faces change and empires rise and fall, but the problems stay the same. The problems stay the same until Jesus comes again. But that said, the failure of human beings throughout history uh, doesn't change the fact that God desires from every nation and from every person justice and righteousness, even from those who do not acknowledge him like we just heard. And when it comes to the nations, the uh, other people, judgment for their lack of justice and righteousness, at least in our minds, usually uh, is just fine, isn't it? We who are God's people today stand with God's people in the time of Amos, and we say when we hear all that that I just read, hey, your will be done, your will be done. Those nations have mistreated us and and now you, you go ahead, you punish them for it. But that's why chapter 2, verse 4 and following must have come, to a bit of a sh- uh, come as a bit of a shock to the, the people who were hearing Amos's oracles. You know, function for us as something of a wake-up call as well. But the focus shifts from the sins of the nations first to Judah, Right? Look, if God expects justice and righteousness for, from those who do not even acknowledge him, what does he expect from those to whom he has revealed himself in a special way? What does he expect from his own privileged people? Well, here's what it says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. Now, you have to understand, there was no love lost between uh, Judah and Israel during this time. This was, this was fairly soon after the kingdom split. But I would have to think that this indictment on Judah would have made the people of Israel a little bit nervous. Judah was maybe a little too close for comfort. And then sure enough, uh, Amos drops the hammer, right? Amos drops the hammer, and he even breaks the pattern to do so. Israel receives its own oracle, and this is, this is an extended oracle. He has a lot to say, and it contains some pretty rough charges. Sins against others, sins against divine revelation, sins against the grace of God, if you can believe it. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and upon, as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. The Israelites were ignoring justice in their own communities. Judges were accepting bribes. Those who were poor and indebted to others were persecuted. The weak and helpless were deprived of their rights. Father and son use the same girl, it says in verse 7, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. 
And so the Israelites were engaged in detestable forms of sexual immorality, almost as if they were deliberately trying to profane the name of God. That sound familiar? The house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Israelites thoughtlessly consumed the proceeds that were gained by their exploitation of the poor and the needy and the helpless. In verse 12, it says, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. So, you know, all this is going on. All this is going on. It's, you've got like this mixed bag. You've got an affluent society, a society that's still, at least on the surface, practicing um, the, the worship of the one true God. And yet, you know, you have, um, you have all of these terrible sins against justice in their society. You have sexual immorality running rampant. Um, and when somebody speaks up and, and tries to say, hey, this is not the way things ought to be. This is not the way that God wants them to be. Um, the Israelites silenced those that tried to confront them with their sin, discouraging the Nazarites from keeping their vows, discouraging prophets from speaking the word of God. I mean, these actions are nothing less than, than acting directly against the will of God. I mean, the people of God, then and, and now as well, are set apart as holy. We're, we're called to be different. We're called to, to, to be set apart so that we can, what I mentioned earlier, reveal the, the nature of the one true God, that we can reveal his nature to each other and to those who do not know him. In the case of Israel, based on what we read here, what, what a complete failure. God's people behaving no different than those who are openly hostile before God in this world. God's people acting against the poor and weak and underprivileged in their own land among their own people. Uh, God's people characterized by idolatry and injustice and, and sexual immorality and just outright rebellion. God's people should have known better. God's people should have known better. And it made me think about what oracle of judgment God might proclaim over the church today. The church with a capital C, okay? We a church that's full of people who are very deeply concerned about individual justice, our own individual justice, and yet caring little for working toward justice in the lives of others working toward justice for um, people that we might consider outsiders. A church that has moved away by and large from God's biblical standards for sexuality, one man and one woman together for life within the covenant of marriage. I mean, where else but the church? Is there any respect for that anymore? And even in the church, is there a deep enough respect for it? The church full of people who regularly hear the word of God and yet resist and refuse to let the word bring conviction, transformation in their lives. Now, perhaps some of these don't apply to us. Perhaps some of them don't, and thanks be to God, that is because of his grace. But likely, 
Some of the things that we just heard, some of the things that I just mentioned, do apply to us, at least in some measure. And so God speaks through his servant Amos to people of all times and throughout all of history. Because the sins of Israel and Judah could, if they're not already, become so easily our own sins. And God, don't fool yourself, never comes to the point of being at peace with sin. God's anger burns against all sin. And if we are just as guilty as those Israelites who first listened to Amos preach, then will we too not be judged? Then will we too not be condemned? Well, the good news for us this evening is that God deeply desires to forgive our sins. He so deeply desired to forgive our sins that he sent Jesus Christ to usher in a new covenant. Another prophet, Jeremiah, points to that new covenant in Jeremiah 31, where he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Oh, that sounds good. After all that we just read in Amos. There is forgiveness of sins for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can know for certain, we can have that assurance that all of our sins have been removed. And we can know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And at the same time, brothers and sisters, judgment is a very real thing. There will be judgment for those who remain opposed to God. There will be judgment for those whose hearts remain hard toward God's grace. There will be judgment for those who are persistent in turning away from Jesus Christ. For three sins, even four, I will not turn back my wrath. Brothers and sisters, there will be judgment, but we will be judged solely on how we responded to Jesus Christ. And so to draw a theme from these oracles, let us repent of our sin and our rebellion when it comes to our Savior and Lord and King Jesus Christ. And let us turn again to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our King, again and again and again and again. Amen. Let's pray.